Well, Boker Tov, everyone, welcome to the fifth day of our week, right? It is the fifth day. Yes, it is. It is Thursday. Uh, so welcome. Glad you are here. It is a Aliyah day, which keeps the Yetzer Hara away. I pray that everyone is doing well. We had our uh, final class last night for the first uh, segment of the conversion courses, the uh, Torah, our foundation. I pray everybody uh, enjoyed that who went through it. If you haven't seen, have not seen that, the, or did not watch the class last night, I encourage you to do so uh, because I thought there was some really good information shared, if I do say so myself. One of these days, perfectly soon, we will, um, my next video that I'm going to film and, and create with God's help with uh, Amet and Mikael and Shalom Studios is going to be titled Yeshua the Pharisee, because I, as I said last night, I think it's a very important uh, message, and I just got a chance to just share a few things uh, last night. So anyway, just want to let you know that's a great uh, opportunity. So welcome, glad you're here. There's all kinds of things going on that are great and wonderful, and being here with you is on the top of the list. So uh, we want to welcome everybody, we want to welcome our friends from... Uh, South Africa, sunny South Africa. I guess it's summertime, Ryan, in South Africa, is it not? Um, I'm assuming it is summertime. So anyway, welcome, glad you're here. Elizabeth Jones, watching from Boyd, Texas, the uh, local uh, Lapidnik here. Dominique, there is Dominique from Kansas City, bringing down uh, the house. Claire, there you are, South Africa, welcome, glad you're here. Who else do we have? Rachel. There is Rachel watching from Tulsa. Hello, Precious. Glad you're here. Elizabeth, uh, no, Raphael. I said Elizabeth already. Sorry. Raphael, glad you're here. Sam, glad you're here from Southern Cal. And uh, who we have, Justice from West Africa. Look at all these precious souls. Devorah Borayo from uh, Tulsa. Glad you're here. And uh, who else do we have? Gerald, glad you're here. And uh, all these precious folks, it's great to have everybody. Rick from Kansas, Baruch Hashem. All right, we are in the uh, Aliyah day, the fifth Aliyah of the Parsha Vayakel and Pukude. If you have your art scroll Chumash, you can open it up to page 523. 523, and we're going to be on page, oh, page 523, chapter 36 beginning in verse 20. So let's read the Aliyah, and then we'll get right to some commentary here for Vayakel. It says, He made the planks of the tabernacle of acacia wood standing erect. Ten cubits was the height of the planks, and a cubit and a half was the width of each plank. Each plank shall have two tendons parallel to one another. So he did for the planks of the tabernacle. He made the planks of the tabernacle 20 planks for the south side. He made 40 silver sockets, under the 20 planks, two sockets under the one plank for the, its two tenons, and two sockets under the next plank for its two tenons, and for the second wall of the tabernacle on its north side, he made 20 planks. There are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one plank, and two sockets under the next plank. For the back of the tabernacle on the west, he made six planks. He made two planks for the corners of the tabernacle in the back, and they were even at the bottom, and together there was matching at the top to a single ring. So he did to them both and the two corners, at the two corners. 
There were eight planks and their silver sockets, 16 sockets, two sockets, two sockets under each plank. He made bars of acacia wood, five for the planks of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the planks of the second side, and five bars for the planks of the tabernacle at the back on the west. He made the middle bar to extend within the planks from one end to end. He covered the planks with gold and made their rings of gold as housing for the bars and covered the bars with gold. He made the partition of, of turquoise, purple, and scarlet wool and linen and twisted. He made it with woven design of cherubs. He made it, for, uh, made it four pillars of acacia wood and plated them with gold. Their hooks were gold and he cast for them four sockets of silver. For the entrance of the tent, he made a screen of turquoise, purple, and scarlet wool, and linen twisted work of an embroider. Its pillars were five with its hooks, and their plated tops, and their bands with gold, and their sockets were five of copper. Chapter 37, verse 1. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits its length, a cubit and a half its width, a cubit and a half its height. He covered it with pure gold, with and without, and he made for it a gold crown all around. He cast for them four rings of gold on its four corners, two rings on one side and two rings on the second side. He made staves of acacia wood and covered them with gold. He inserted in the staves the rings of the size of the ark to carry the ark. He made a cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits its length and a cubit and a half its width. He made two cherubs of gold. He hammered out, hammered out did he make them, for the two ends of the cover. And the cherub from one end to the other, or excuse me, from, from the end of one side and the cherub from the end of the other, and from the cover he didn't make the cherub, from its two ends. The cherubs were with wings spread upward, sheltering the cover with their wings, with their faces towards one another. Towards the cover were the faces of the cherubs. He made the table of acacia wood, two cubits length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. He covered it with pure gold and made for it gold crown all around. He made for it a molding of one handbreadth all around, and he made a gold crown for its molding all around. He cast for it four rings of gold and placed the rings on the four corners of its four legs. The rings were opposite the molding as housing for the staves to carry the, ta the table. He made the staves of acacia wood and covered them with gold to carry the table. He made the utensils that were on the table, its dishes, its spoons, its pillars, and its sh shelving tables with which is covered of pure gold. That's the end of our reading for the fifth Aliyah Vayakhel. I want to go to an insight here from Rabbi Monk's uh, comment, commentary rather. Rabbi Rabbeinu Bakia is discussing here why we have uh, kind of a reiteration of the elements of the tabernacle. You know, what is it about the tabernacle that we are now reading again, how it's being put together? And one of the ideas is that the tabernacle is uh, particularly holy, and whenever there's something that's particularly holy to be done or to be made, that it's oftentimes repeated in the Torah to emphasize to those who are paying attention that, uh, that this is a holy work that needs to be carried out in its proper detail. So it says here, there's another insight here, why we read, because sometimes we're reading about the tabernacle, or maybe you're reading about the sacrifices, or reading about something to that effect, and you're thinking to yourself, well, um, 
this seems a little bit monotonous. It seems a little bit boring, but we shouldn't look at it that way. Here's why. Rabbeinu Bakya compares the specifications pertaining to the tabernacle, which covers half of Exodus, with the laws of the sacrificial service, which also uh, are also extensive, covering more than half of the book of, of Leviticus. In fact, the Talmud observes that although the sacrificial laws were only relevant for the time that the Holy Temple stood, the Torah describes its laws at great length. Okay? So the reason we don't sacrifice today is because there is not a temple. That's really the reason we're not allowed to sacrifice. Now let me just say something here, since this is on my mind, I'm just going to pause and take a little bit, a brief aside. Um, Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, observant Jewish people, pardon me, I got a little allergies going, I guess, because all the rain or whatever, but anyway, uh, Orthodox Jewish people do not eat lamb at the Passover Seder. Um, and this throws a lot of Christians slash Hebrew roots people uh, for a loop because they're supposedly word of God only. So they, they read the word of God and the word, the word of God says, Thus shalt thy have lamp, lamb at thy Pesach Seder. And, and so they start running around telling Jews that we're breaking Torah um, and we're Torah breakers, and we're just so ignorant. And of course, they wouldn't know what the word Torah meant if it wasn't for Jews. But never mind that; that's just too logical. Um, so, the so they're just confused, right? They don't understand. They they think it's a violation of Torah not to have lamb. But in fact, it would be a violation of Torah actually to have lamb at the seder. Here's why: because yes, the the commandment is to eat the Pesach lamb at the seder. But the Pesach lamb that was eaten at the Seder was a formal sacrifice uh, that had taken place, okay, uh, at the temple, in fact. And this is why an uncircumcised male was not to eat of it, to eat of the Pesach Seder. Why? Or excuse me, the Pesach lamb. Why? Because it was a sacrifice. So uh, if... Uh, someone says, "Well, I'm going to have lamb because I want to. I want to do what the Bible says. My Bible here in the King James says that I thou shalt have it, so I'm going to have it." Um, well, you know, when you go down and buy your lamb at Walmart, uh, which came from uh, Australia, which is actually halal offered up to the false god of Islam, and you bake it in your oven, you're not fulfilling the mitzvah anyway. And unfortunately, you're actually committing a halul Hashem, a desecration of God's name, because you're implying and you're insinuating, you're inferring that you're actually eating the Passover lamb, which would mean that you're eating a sacrifice, which would mean that you did, you made a sacrifice outside the temple, which would mean that you violated an significant precept of the Torah. So this is why you need a rabbi. And this is why we do not eat lamb at the Passover Seder. And some Jewish uh, sects don't even have don't have roasted meat at all. Uh, now, by roasted meat, I, I mean <clears throat> like rotisserie, like literally roasted over a fire. Because I know we put chicken in the oven and we put beef in the oven and we call that roast, but it's not really roast. 
Um, but that this is this is why. Now we have beef and we have chicken and we have salmon sometimes and all of that. So uh, having alternative meat is is fine. But I just I'm just telling you that's why we don't have lamb now. Now, um, we do have lamb throughout the rest of the week, right? Um, in fact, at our house, uh, typically, if I can find it, uh, we will have uh, lamb chops or something to that effect some, at some point during the week. And I, I like lamb, so uh, I would like to have it more often uh, if you can find certified kosher lamb. <clears throat> the lamb that you have that's not certified kosher, by the way, is, is not kosher to eat anyway, but you should just know that 99.9% .9 of the lamb that's not certified kosher has been offered up to Smala, literally, uh, the false deity of Mecca. But anyway, on to other things. Hopefully that was helpful. That was kind of like a PSA since Pass Passover is coming up. Back to our topic here. So it goes on to say, this is an indication of the importance of the theoretical study of the sacrificial laws. Okay, so when we study the sacrificial laws, it's as if we um, are offering up the sacrifices because we're doing so in the spirit because we're studying them. Okay, this is why when we read the sacrificial or the korbanot, let's put it that way, when we read the korbanot uh, passages, that is uh, accredited as if we had offered the sacrifice, obviously not literally. Uh, which brings up another point. If you really uh, want to have lamb <coughs> at your Seder, then study. Uh, study the, uh, the tractates uh, concerning the lamb and how it was slaughtered and so on, and, and it'll be credited to you as if you had it, which is something that I frequently do and have done uh, just before Passover. We study the little passage of uh, Pesachim. Um, so it says here, uh, Hashem considers the study of the laws of sacrifices as equivalent to actually offering the sacrifices. And so he pardons the sins of those who engage in the study. This is from Tana Eat 27b in the Talmud. So the same applies to the tabernacle. The diligent study of its complex concepts elevates man to a higher sphere of thought. Um, so when we study about the components of the tabernacle and uh, from what they what what they were made, how they were made, how they were put together, when we study those those passages of of of, of text, we are actually uh, like building the tabernacle. So that's the exciting part is that you we some people may study and goes oh, okay talking about five planks over here, ten planks over there, covered with gold. Uh, put into uh, sockets, and it kind of seems a little dull. But you shouldn't look at it like that, because in fact, when you're studying those passages, you are, in effect, building the tabernacle and elevating your spiritual understanding. So uh, I just want to point that out, something from Rabbeinu Bakya, as articulated by uh, Rabbi uh, Monk. So another insight here about the shadow of God. I'm, I'm turning in the... Apostolic letters to the book of Colossians, uh, because I want to uh, mention this. This is a very common text in Colossians chapter 2 that is very often used uh, to besmirch Torah learning, but we're going to bring it into clarity. I've, I've taught on Colossians 2 quite a lot because it's so popular, but this is another opportunity to do so, and so I'm going to take advantage of it. Again, looking at Rabbi Monk, going to chapter 37. 
pardon me. Chapter 37, verse 1. It says, Bezalel made the ark. Bezalel made the ark. So it says, Every object in the tabernacle was designed upon Bezalel's instruction and counsel. He was the he was the uh, the chief architect, if you will, the chief craftsman. However, he himself made the ark. So when it came to building the ark, he himself was involved in that process. Uh, or, or not just involved, he, he himself did it. Now, the question is why. Why was it that Bezalel himself made the ark? And here's the answer. This is because within the ark, within the ark. So what's inside the ark? Inside the ark is the Torah, right? The tablets that contain the word of God, the Torah of God, the Torah of Moses. That's what's in the ark. Okay. It says this is because within the ark was contained the shadow of of God. So the Torah is ca- called the shadow of God. The word of God is called the shadow of God. Okay? Um just as an aside cuz I saw a Lapide house in the down there in the Houston area uh Symbolically putting blood on the doorpost during Pesach Seder, is that okay? Uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, you, we do that symbolically usually by putting anointing oil on the door. But obviously we should not put real blood on the door. That would be a violation of, of Torah and it would be weird and cultish. Uh, shank bone on the Pesach Seder plate, obviously that's okay because Jews have been doing that for years. That's why the shank bone is there to, uh, the lamb shank bone is there to represent that lamb that was slain. Jews have been doing that for more than 2,000 years. So, yes, that's totally cool. Um, All right, so going back to the shadow of God, it says, In this small area between the cherubim, there was the reflection of the Shekinah withdrawn into itself. This goes back to what we talked about with the Kabbalistic idea of Zimzum. So so even on top of the ark, there is the reflection of, of the Shekinah. In fact, what it's saying here actually is that the Torah inside the ark is actually a reflection of the Shekinah, which is above the ark. That's what it's saying here. This is so, so good when we're about to contrast it to what Paul wrote in his letter to his congregation there in Colossia. Okay? So let's just reiterate. Let's recap. The reason Bezalel built the ark is because his name means in the shadow of God. That's what his name literally means. And so the reason that Bezalel built the ark is because in the shadow of God was to work on the ark, which has the Torah inside, which is the shadow of the Shekinah. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's look at the letter to the Colossians. Remember, it's a letter. It's not the Holy Word of God. This is a letter from a rabbi to his congregation. This is what he says. He's talking to um, a bunch of converts. 
okay? People who were formerly non-Jews and now they're, they're Jews uh, and they're worshiping on Sabbath in a synagogue, all right? And their, their Gentile pagan family members um, don't understand why they're not still a Methodist. Uh, they're perplexed as to why they left the Episcopal Church. And uh, they're giving them a lot of grief about it. How come you're not coming over and uh, eating ham on Easter Sunday? What's wrong with you? And so he writes to them some comforting words. And he says, he says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. In other words, don't let anybody, don't let anybody judge you or or whatever, about the fact that you're now eating kosher. Your family is judging you because they don't. So don't let anybody judge you. Or with regard to a religious festival, don't let anybody judge you about the fact that you're now keeping the, the festivals of, uh, of the Jews, the festivals of Hashem, which is one and the same thing. Such as a new moon celebration, like a Rosh Hodesh. Or a Sabbath day. Don't let anybody judge you for keeping Rosh Hodesh. Don't let anybody judge you for keeping Shabbat. Now, why would he be saying that to a bunch of Messianic Gentiles who aren't supposed to keep Rosh Hodesh or Shabbat? Ah, uh, you've just employed logic, which can be very dangerous. So he says in verse 17 here, these are a shadow of, the, of, the, of what's to come. Of that, of that which was to come. So wait a minute. He just got through saying that the Torah is a shadow of that which is to come. Which is exactly what rabbinic Judaism says about the Torah. The Torah is a shadow. A shadow of what? We just read it. A shadow of the Shekinah of God. Now, when you do a study on the Shekinah of God, you find something very interesting. That the Shekinah is here with us. The Ruach HaKodesh is the Shekinah. The Shekinah is here with us, and the Shekinah is God, and yet God is in Shemayim, and the Shekinah is in exile. Also, you find that Shekinah and Memtet are basically synonymous, which means what? Which means that the Shekinah of God, that is the Ruach HaKodesh, um, is also synonymous with the Mashiach. All right? So the Torah is the reflection or the shadow of the Shekinah. That's what we just got through reading in Rabbi Monk's commentary. Now listen to this. Going back to Paul. Paul was a Pharisee, you see. And uh, he uh, was not a Christian. Um, he did not go, he was not uh, part of the Lutheran church, as many people think he was. Um. It says here, these are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Messiah, which is precisely what we just read. The Torah is a shadow of the Shekinah, right? The Shekinah is a shadow. So this is what he's saying here. The reality is found in the Messiah. That's completely consistent with oral rabbinic Judaism. Now, how many of you realize that if you're standing in the shadow of somebody, you're pretty close to them? Right? So, if the Torah is a shadow of Messiah, and if you're standing in Torah, then that would mean naturally that you're very, very close to the Mashiach. 
which would imply, insinuate, or infer that that's a good place to be. If you're not standing in somebody's shadow, then it means that you're not close to them, which would imply that that's not a good place to be, right? Now, I'm going to go ahead and finish this chapter of Colossians because, uh, again, I've taught on this many, many times. To some, this will be a bit of born redundancy, but here it is. Y'all will catch that in a second from a movie title. It says, Do not uh, let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those family members who used to be part of the Church of Christ that are now upset because their current family members have converted to Judaism and are worshiping on Shabbat in a synagogue. They're judging them for eating kosher. They're judging them for keeping the Rosh Hodesh. They're judging them for keeping Pesach. They're judging them for keeping the Sabbath day. And the rabbi here is saying, listen, these people delight in false humility and they delight in the worship of angels. Don't let them disqualify you for the prize. Now, Jews don't worship angels, and we don't delight in false humility. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The Torah is not false humility. So it says, such a person goes into great detail about, about what he has seen, you know, because they always go to the prophetic conferences. And it says, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He lost connection with the head from from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God continues it to grow. Since you died with the Messiah to the basic principles of this world, the Torah is not the basic principles of this world. It's quite the opposite. So if we died to the basic principles to the world, then that must mean that we're alive to Torah, because the Torah is the opposite of that. So it says, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Well, the Torah is not the rules of the world. Right? Torah is not the rules of the world. How do we know that? Because if, if it were the rules of the world, then it would be natural and normal for everybody to eat kosher, for instance, or to separate meat and dairy, or, or to keep the Sabbath. But in fact, it's quite the, to the contrary. So it says there, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are the rules of the paganism he's talking about. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and human teachings. Well, again, he's not talking about the Torah because the Torah is, number one, not based on human commands and human teachings. It's based on the human, excuse me, it's based on the teachings of the living God, number one. And number two, the Torah testifies of itself that it will never cease to exist. It will always be. In fact, the Torah says it is eternal. So at no time does the Torah ever say that it's destined to perish. And to actually insinuate that the Torah at some time is going to cease to exist is actually a, a blasphemous and heretical statement, not based on any scriptural text whatsoever. So it says, Such regulations indeed have their appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack value in restraining sensual indulgence. Obviously, again, he's not talking about the Torah because the Torah does not lack the power to restrain. In fact, it's the, the opposite. The, the Torah absolutely has the power to restrain us from our sensual indulgence because as we study the Torah and apply it to our life, we abide by its rules, um, which restrain us. Now, the Midrash Tankuma, going back to our shadow comment here, 
states that the task of building the ark belonged to Bezalel himself, who was Bezel El in the shadow of God. His name testified to the fact that he reflected the Shekinah through his divine inspiration. So how? So listen, when we're when we're a Torah people, then we in effect become the shadow because the Torah is now living, if you will, through us. So we become now the shadow of the Shekinah, that is the shadow of Messiah. Therefore, when people come into our shadow, they receive spiritual healing, which is why when they came into the shadow of Kepha, they received healing. Now it says here, to create an holy object who gave physical form to the essence of holiness, Hashem chose the purest, wisest, and most inspired man. What? It says here the ark was the physical form of the essence of holiness. That's what it just got through saying. It just got through saying that the ark itself was the physical form of the essence of holiness. What's the essence of holiness? The essence of holiness is the Torah. So we already have had the Torah manifest in the form of the ark. One more thing. Rashi offers another view. That Bezalel was able to build the ark because he put his heart and soul into it. Indeed, we see that Bezalel assumed the role of the defender of the sacredness of the ark. It was he who insisted that it should not be built before its covering was made. Bezalel had the unusual liberty, uh, very unique, of stating his halakhic opinion in the presence of his teacher, which would ordinarily be considered a disrespectful act. A Talmud or someone who is under their rabbi is not allowed to issue a halakhic ruling that goes against what their rabbi has said. So someone says, well, I know Rabbi uh, said that, but actually, I don't know. That, that's not what it says on page 27. He's just MSU. That's just stuff he, he made up off the top of his head. That's wrong. We're going to do it this way. That's actually, uh, and, and, and a lot of times people do stuff like that because they want to be real Jews or whatever nonsense they think. And, and in fact, they are violating a major precept of Judaism, which is that you follow your rabbi. So issuing a, for a student to issue a halakhic ruling, uh, contrary to the rabbi or in the, in the presence of the rabbi, is actually considered by the Talmud a capital offense, interestingly enough. Well, that's what Bezalel did, but he did so only because of his unique situation with respect to the ark. So it says, in a similar instance, Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, lost their lives. Why? Because they also made a halakhic ruling, and that's why they lost their lives. So in this analogous situation, it says Bezalel had made himself liable to the capital punishment. He was prepared to sacrifice his life for the honor of the ark. Now his life was spared because he acted under the divine inspiration and the shadow of God, which his name says. And therefore, his name is forever linked to the building of the ark. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. We're out of time. But we are most definitely not out of content. There is a lot more to share. And we're going to do that tomorrow as we get into the 6th and 7th Aliyah of Vayakel Peku Day. Until then, have an amazing day. Enjoy your time at home for those of you who are there. And, the, and if you're at work, uh, then enjoy your time there. And we will be together tomorrow with God's help. Shalom, blessings, and have a great day.